and we are recording TPC 140, July 18th, 2020, 10.07 a.m. Eastern Time. Available on BitChute, DTube, Vimeo, VO, blah, 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 all those. I'll be in the top links. Colonel Tyler Morton, PhD, recommended by Nick Phelps, author of From Kites to Cold War, which I loved, man. Before before we go off on a rant, introduce yourself because I will I will completely take over and start talking. So introduce yourself. <laughs> it's your podcast. You man, man. No man, you're the guest. This is you. Uh, so uh, Tyler Warden, uh, you already said I was a colonel in the Air Force. Uh, that's me. Been in uh, been in almost 29 years now. Uh, started off way back in 1991. Uh, enlisted, airborne cryptologic linguist, uh, Spanish guy. Uh, spent about 2,500 hours of my life in the back of the RC-135 representing it today. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Old school, yeah. you know, me and my RC shirt. Um, got commissioned in 98, uh, served, you know, multiple intel jobs here and there. Uh, the uh, RC-135 community brought me back a couple times. Um, once to the 97th Intel Squadron at Offit as the Assistant Director of Operations, and then stood up a little thing called 97th IS Debt One, where we kind of ran Project Liberty, which was uh, support, you know, the JSOC stuff. Um, and then was fortunate enough in 2014 to take command of the 488th Intel Squadron uh, out at RAF Mobile Hall, which is uh, the world's premier airborne SIGINT outfit. So got to command out there, RC-135 operations for a couple years. Um, and then, was, you know, Air Force sent me a couple times to schools, was lucky enough to, you know, get all that kind of stuff and um, got recommended for a PhD program and uh, did that and had wanted to write about, you know, the history of the airborne reconnaissance business for a very long time. Um, and was fortunate that the Air Force gave me time to do that. So uh, the result of that was a dissertation that ended up in a PhD and then um, some of the folks down there at our university thought it would be a good book. So kind of went into that business and you know we can talk about the fun that, that it is to change a dissertation into a book if you want they're <laughs> they're certainly not the same product yeah. for sure so uh, yeah that's me uh, currently at uh, Langley Air Force Base the vice wing commander of the 480th ISR wing uh, the world's largest Air Force ISR wing <laughs> enjoy the heck out of that hell yeah Dude, you need you need to you need to make your you need to turn your book into an audio book. I tell that to every guest I have on here that has books because my my lazy born in 1990 my lazy millennial generation man, if I can't we can't throw it on during work or a car or something, I'll never crack a book in my life. Yeah, but yeah. if it's audio, man, I will go from like the most like horrible like millennial like watching mind rotting TV to listening to like in-depth histories of like fdr's lineage just because because you can but, yeah but i used a few brain cells i have and i found out how to make kindle books read to me and it's in a terrible robot voice that being said i listened to yours and dude i like i said to you like i texted you robot voices can make the best book sound terrible and <laughs> i still enjoy enjoyed yours you have an awesome deep voice, man. You know, I, Bruce Sackman, the guy that investigates serial killers, I had him on. Yeah. He's got perfect New York. He sounds, I mean, he could be cast in Goodfellas. Like, he's, awesome. And I'm like, dude, you got to, some people, I wouldn't say it. I'd be like, eh, maybe you should hire someone to narrate it. Right. He, he's yeah, got yeah. the perfect voice. 
You've got a perfect deep dude. You got to narrate it, man. I promised you more people would listen. I got this monotone professor voice that just wants to put you to sleep. No, it's perfect. That's all you want. You don't want. It's kind of like we're going way off into the weeds already. Have you ever ever heard the explanation of like why like runway models aren't like swimsuit models? Instead, they're like rail thin as opposed to some, you know, like pinup girl. It's because it's supposed to take away. You're not supposed to examine the body. It's supposed to be so it's just a perfect scaffolding for the clothing. Uh, okay, got That's it, what yeah. you want for an audiobook, man. You don't you don't want some in-depth animated voice. No, man. I'm listening to Creation of the Hydrogen Bomb by Richard Rhodes. He has the most boring voice in the world and it's perfect. <laughs> it's the it doesn't top, detract from the information. Brings right. the information in. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know how that whole audiobook thing works. They haven't asked me to do it, obviously, or I would. It's yeah. just, you know, I have no idea how to do it either. I don't know, just get through the damn thing. I think you just got to, man. I think you just got to get, because people have asked me, they're like, well, how do I do it? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Grab a microphone, man. Start reading. I'm just, <laughs> sure. yeah, who cares, man? Just put it up. So let's learn about airborne ISR. Let's do it. Starting now, <laughs> chapter one. Yeah, man, just, I think there's like a 10 hour limit on YouTube videos. Just upload it, Jen. Just one big file. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So I actually called Nick Phillips and he and I were talking and I, I told him about my favorite part of the book is you explained and you, you'll have, you'll have to refresh me is who is that? Was, was it a French? Is it the correct like ballooner? The guy in the balloon with the cannonball went right over the head and went right, right under the basket. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, explain. It, so, the way you explain it to me, it sounds like I think you even said it. You're like it was like the earliest example of like, like jock, like like fighter pilot status. But it was like the late 1700, maybe 1800s. Again, you have to correct me. But it's this guy up in his balloon, and the cannonball goes right over his head and right below his basket doesn't kill him and then because it's just you know old wartime you can just see the enemy he like yells out in france something like viva la france or whatever and it was just like you were like it's the earliest example of like brash like fighter pilot ego but it's it's yeah. it's, it's not yeah it's not it's not an f-22 it's not yeah it's not we're going toe-to-toe with ivan it's not even biplanes it's just i just imagine this dude in like a top hat with a handlebar mustache like <laughs> that's probably not far from the truth right? yeah what, 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 yeah, what was the exact date? Do you remember? Uh, I want to say it was 1797 at, at first. You know, I don't have the books yeah. in here in front of me. It probably take me a while to find it. But it was uh, Battle of Malbeige, I think. And uh, first, you know, they were that was all new, right? Yeah. So there were cannon guys on the ground on the Belgian side. And then these French guys flying around above them. And, you know, the Belgian dudes on the ground are like, well, screw it. Let's, let's point up, see if we can shoot these guys down. And there's cannonballs flying all around. You know, it's who knows if it's actually a true story. Yeah. It's out there, right? Yeah. French guys, and I can't remember who it was. The French guys in the basket, you know, they had a basket that hung below, not as, not as dramatically as they do now, mm-hmm. below the balloon. And there's cannonballs flying all over. One, one supposedly goes, you know, basically right between his legs, over his head, kind of at the same time. You know, he gives him the old "Viva la France," oh, yeah. some some hand signal in French. I don't know what those are. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, flies away off to the side. So yeah, yeah first fight, you know, first fighter pilot, if you will. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's the, yeah. And it's even better because it's not like, yeah, Viva la France. And then he turned on the afterburners. It's like, Viva yeah, la right. France. And then just <laughs> bobbing away at a quarter mile yeah, an hour. Right. And quarter mile an hour. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I fart in your general direction. That's what, <laughs> that's what it's like, yeah. But, so, I, I had listened to Eye in the Sky, Rise of the Gorgon Stare book a while ago about just, like, outfitting predators with surveillance. But they still, not even going into that, but they start off the book with talking about the first balloons put up during the Civil War. Yeah. And it was, like, the first guys... Just and like the the Confederates were like watching these Union balloons, and it was like understood from the second they saw them, it was almost like, oh, this is this this is now changing everything. It was like a moment where it was like, oh, we are one of the rare times in history where like we are present at the turning of a page because yeah. now they're looking yeah. at us, and we know you know they're drawing it or ta- you know probably not taking a picture but drawing it and going back down. And that was surprising to me because I had always, to me, it was always just World War One, like biplanes, and that was the beginning, the end. I didn't know about that in the Civil War, but then reading your book, listening to it, reading gives me too much credit. Listening to your book is, yeah, you're talking about back in the 1700s they were doing this. I didn't know that. What? Wait, it's so. And then you go into more depth with the Civil War. Again, in my mind, it was like it was this thing that was tested almost like the A-bomb on like August 6th and 9th. It was just these like right at the very end, tail end, and then it was over and it didn't really come up again. But you talked about just how in-depth this went in in the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it was, uh, you know, that that aspect, not necessarily Civil War, but the, the early founding fathers' interest in ballooning and stuff from the very beginning was probably one of the one of the things that I learned the most through the research because I didn't, uh, you know, I had known that Ben Franklin was in France when they first started flying him. That he, you know, that he took interest because he was Ben Franklin. He was interested in everything. Yeah, I, I don't know how the guy did it, especially back then. Yeah, Elon yeah, Musk I, guy. I, yeah, so I, I got a hold of his archives, you know, his old letters and everything, kind of poured through them and just started you know, weaving the track all the way back. And, you know, you noticed in the book that, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Monroe, all those guys in one form or fashion were, were talking about the excitement of a balloon and, the, you, know, the, you know, potentially what it could do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, transport kind of stuff. But, you know, very early on, they started talking about, the, you know, the military application. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, and I haven't really seen that written much about you know and in, in the way that i kind of put it all together it's not a big part of the book but it's you know it's one of those things that i wanted to include because i thought it was unique and yeah you know, you know most people didn't know um but you know abraham lincoln is is why the balloon actually got started you know he in in the u.s army during the civil war um there's you know just like everything else you know thaddeus Lowe, the first balloon dude in the civil war had some connections he knew the secretary of state and he got a call, you know, he got basically got a, you got some FaceTime with Lincoln. Yeah. He's like, dude, I can, I can take my balloon up and I can see stuff. And, yeah. You know, back then, That's Washington, D.C. is surrounded by Confederate territory yeah. all around it. Yeah. And there's, you know, within, within eyesight, balloon sight, if you will, so, you know, where he took off over there by where now is the Smithsonian, the main Smithsonian Castle building. He could see, you know, troop formations and so, but he got, you know, he got some FaceTime with Lincoln and said, let me show you how this works. You know, and Lincoln was all over it. Yeah. He, you know, offered up the, you know, offered us money for the demonstration. And then Thaddeus was a smart dude. He takes a, he takes a wireless telegraph or a wired telegraph with him at that time up into the balloon so he can, you know, send, 
send Lincoln a text message, if you will, about what he's seeing, you know, in near real time. And he knew that that would hook, you know, that would hook Lincoln. So, you know, from there, it, they didn't use him a lot. I mean, let's be honest, there wasn't a lot of balloon use, you know, during the Civil War. I tried to get as many of the instances and circumstances as I could in there. Um, it, just like a lot of things, even today, you know, it's personality driven. And Fatty Slow pissed off a whole lot of people. And the army didn't like him. The army wanted yeah. you know, to use that money for other stuff, and they thought the cavalry was still the way to go. Which you know, honestly, it was. There wasn't enough balloons to go around. Yeah, and it just kind of dried up. Yeah, you know? and they ran out of money. Everybody did. Yeah, but, but I mean, you mentioned the Confederates. They also saw it, like you said. They, you know, they saw it. Now, keep in mind, these balloons. You know, they weren't. You couldn't drive them. They were no. just going straight up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, Here we they, go. <laughs> But I don't know if you caught on. You know, they did start fooling around with that, with the wind. You know, with the wind direction. So the you know the predominant winds in Northern Virginia at low altitudes blow, you know, east to west. So you could go up kind of low, catch the wind, and fly out over the Confederate lines, and then put yourself up higher. And the winds from there west to east predominant. So you could you know kind of cruise back that way. Which you know, good luck with that. Yeah. But they did fool around with a lot of that stuff. You know, which you know those those dudes are pretty brave. Yeah. yeah it's always yeah it's always easy to like look back in hindsight and you know you can kind of like laugh at it it's like you know here we are 2020 my car i'm gonna drive to my my job like black magic to them but like they don't like none they didn't know any of this stuff it's i mean it's like launching the first guys into space it's like so or you know it's like chucky or breaking the sound barrier it's like there might be a tear in space time there might not be (laughs) You'll be famous. It's like, you know, it's like Oppenheimer, like, so this might light the atmosphere on fire, but it might not. And they're like, they're like, go fire. Let's see what happens. Let's do this thing. But we're, you know, we're still kind of in the gentleman kind of phase of things, right? Yeah. You know, there are lots of stories of balloon dudes going down and, you know, the enemy, like, being so fascinated with the equipment that they're just like, oh, wow, what the hell is this thing? Just kind, kind of, of forget that, you know, we're at war, I'm supposed to be killing you or whatever. Yeah, just chatting it up. Wow. You know, yeah. Yeah, that, that happened a lot of times. And, you know, the guys would just navigate their way back yeah. or negotiate a release or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, they were, they were throwing caution to the wind and putting themselves out there. You know, oh, hey, yeah. I'm just going to go up in this balloon and oh, see where I go. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Fortune favors the bold. It's like, let's do this. I mean, yeah, it's... Like a time when it's just like trains and horses, and it's like, yo, I got this idea. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna take some wood, burn it, inflate this balloon. Hear me out. And you're gonna go up there to the heavens, because yeah. I mean yeah. that is the heavens. There's no first skyscrapers was late 18, 1880s, 1890s. So this oh, yeah. is, I mean, up until it was almost, a, I believe it was a law in most cities that the tallest structure had to be a cathedral. It was nothing could go higher than the cross. So, I mean, you really are. I mean, again, we laugh at it. You're like, oh, my God, 100 feet up. But it's like, dude, that was, I mean, you were going up there and, like, touching the face of God. And it's, yeah, no parachutes, no nothing. Some of the early reports of, I think it was in France, was just like, you'd go up and it was just kind of like, but that was it. It was because there'd be a gust of wind. It'd turn upside down and it was peace. Or it was just, there was no way to blow out to the ocean. And it's just like. You know, rest in peace, buddy. It's oh, yeah. there's actually a report of one of the first balloons, like one of the first, like 1700s, going down in some town in France, and the people like destroyed the balloon because they thought it was some like demonic like spirit. Oh yeah, 
they, yeah. they didn't know what it was. Yeah. It was a balloon, and it was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like, surround it, burn it, like, kill the heathen. But, it came out of the sky with some guy in it. I know, <laughs> really, right? I know. It's, that's it, not normal. Yeah, literally, it's, yeah, it's destroy this thing. But, so, I was going to say is, like, it's always, it's always interesting. I love how, I love how if, like, you really want, like, a technology or just an aspect of, human history to evolve at an like expedited rate it's like put a military application on it and watch it go and then I, i'm 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 re-listening to dark sun the creation of the hydrogen bomb by richard emmer it's the famous he wrote uh, making of the atomic bomb which is like the staple manhattan project book but he's talking about he's like yeah like the first computer which a stunning 333 calculations a second <laughs> Yeah, 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 really. It was just like, boy, we are treading on, we are treading on, like, the future. But to, it was to calculate, like, the the successive divisions of, of, of fu- not for fission, but for fusion. It was for, it was for Ivy Mike, the first hydrogen bomb. And then, I mean, I think of, like, the early internet, ARPANET, before it was even DARPA, ARPANET. It was to communicate, because none of this matters. Uh, Garrett, I mentioned it almost every podcast garrett graff's raven rock book about all the nuclear bunkers from like fdr through through like obama but they're like there's no point there's no point to these things if we can't communicate with one another i think it was one of lemay's guys that said i think thomas powers he's like without a telephone the only thing i command is my desk and let me tell you that's not very powerful i think he was talking <laughs> about like being at off an air force base going off on a tangent but it's always interesting how if you go back and look at like the earliest things internet computational power balloons it's like dude put a military put a military use on this and watch this thing go it's yeah yeah, Yeah. it's yeah yeah, absolutely yeah that certainly was the case with with aviation yeah you know i mean you know balloons airplanes all of it you know, because the, the the dark era of the balloon was after the Civil War. There was, you know, there was basically nothing going yeah, on. Stagnation. And and then you know the army fooled around with them a little bit in the Spanish American War, and that Pancho Villa. Even though they, they didn't use them a lot, they kind of started proving the concept during that you know during that little thing. So they were successful. They just only had a couple of them. Um, but you know, really immediately after the Spanish American War is where you know military aviation caught on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you got, you know, you got a lot of balloon experiments going on. You got the Zeppelin stuff going on in Germany all at the same time. And then 1903, you know, some guys got lucky with an airplane. And that changed, you know, that changes everything. After a while. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the, it wasn't even it was, in the news. Yeah, it, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, just, you, you know, it took the Army six years to yeah. get an airplane. That's after, insane. You know, after the Wright Brothers. That's insane. They were still, they were going down the balloon route. Yeah. That's, that's what they thought they had. And finally, they got their eyes open. You know. Yeah. The balloons hang on for a long time, right? Well, shit, we still have them. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, World War. I mean, World War One. Yeah, and weren't there a bunch of them on on D Day? Isn't is that just the video games I played as a kid? But you always see these big like tethered. Zeppelin no, those are, were... Yeah, those are those are barrage balloons. They're okay. just to, they're just to keep. You know, aircraft from flying in and hitting the ships. Just oh, to, I didn't know that. That's, that's yeah, bad. they're just they <laughs> tethering the boats to present obstacles so you know fighters can't fly in there and shoot the boats. It's badass. Yeah, those are poor. But yeah, I mean, we're you know balloons had a balloons had a really good run. Yeah, and, 
everybody thought that was it. Yeah, it's it's always insane. But like, not only so like, not only do these. By the way, if you can't tell, I never shut up. So you gotta you gotta butt in. You gotta just interrupt. In yeah, yeah, just yeah. You know, Tommy, shut the hell up. But. Glad you're interested. Uh, yeah, no, dude, I love it. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I wasn't I wasn't kissing your ass like, oh, this is a cool book, dude. If I didn't like the book, I'd be like, yeah, I don't care. No, dude, this I don't is think a, we'd be talking. No, 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 I don't. Yeah, I, yeah your I, book sucks. I'm gonna have you on my podcast. Yeah, your, your book sucks. <laughs> yeah, your book sucks, dude. Come on here, I'm gonna make fun. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I've had people that I've turned. I think I've only had one person ever that I've actually turned down, and because oh, yeah. he was like, I got an idea. He's like, what if I channel the universe? And I start making psychic predictions on your podcast. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, I was like, if you could actually do that, and that's some groundbreaking science, the equivalent of the balloon, I was like, <laughs> sure. But the fact that you're telling me, let's fake it, I was like, that alone, I was just like, no, stop messaging me. Go away. But um, that was the only example ever. Haven't had one since. Good. But, um, yeah, so, like, talking about, like, the early military applications of the the groundbreaking vacuum tube computer or the balloon or the biplane but there's also this like other side to it where it's like not only are these the not only do, do the original iterations of all these like the first generations of all these novel technologies take off from military just before that there's always if not a complete resistance a complete uninterest uninterest in it lack of interest in it so like again balloons it's like so like late 1700s civil war i mean dude we're looking at six seven decades later like it's not like we had a balloon fleet ready it was this pause and then what you're saying with uh um uh, the right flyer it like wasn't even a big thing heavier than air flight and just not even in the not even the new six years until the military gets on it because so it's like resistance and no interest into balloons and then we get it and then we make the same mistake again Here's another new technology. Have, no, no, no. Balloons are it. And then you get to and then you get to biplanes. And it's now biplanes are the big thing. I mean, like LeMay, I mean, LeMay was, I mean, well, I guess LeMay changed his mind. But most generals are like, no, we can't have ICBMs. We got these big, sexy bombers. And it's, there's always this, like, resistance and then full-on grappling of new technologies. But it's always, the other thing we talked about in our emails was, yeah, they were, they were hesitant to, uh, I think it was World War One. they were hesitant to use the biplanes because the engine noises scared the horses. Right. To me, that is, as I went on a rant in an email to you, to me, that is just like the most mind-boggling, like hesitant to use this because of scaring the horses. That's insane. Well, I mean, you got to remember the, the army in World War One was primarily oh, a oh, yeah. strong service. Oh, cavalry, and yeah. They were still moving most of their equipment with horses. The cavalry that was the eyes and ears of the army was, was still horses. So, you know, you got this weird contraption flying over your head and, you know, shit. My yeah. dog gets scared when we make a sudden noise. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's hesitance to do that. It's just. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, but, but think about it this way. The, the cavalry, there's a whole book written about the cavalry's resistance to the airplanes. It's called uh, Har Harnessing the Airplane, I think. Um, I, I did a book review on it not too long ago, early last year, I think. Um, but it's all about the cavalry's res resistance to the airplane and 
you know, the loud noise is just one of the factors that they, you know, they were throwing out all kinds of excuses why they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody tries to rally up and protect their, you know, their force. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried and true way. They've been doing things for so many years. And it was, you know, the U.S. and the U.K., they were both, you know, the cavalry was fighting the airplane at the same exact time. That was, you know, just one of the things that they used. Eh, they're too loud. They scare everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Horses are spooking and running all over the place. Yeah, it's it's almost... Yeah, there's like three tiers. Complete lack of interest and then grappling a hold of it. And then isn't there some like natural law that it's like once a system is created, it will do everything in its power to protect itself? It's like yeah. jails. It's like now there's like like jail lobbies against like the legalization of marijuana because it was like we need prisoners and it's like dude that's not why you exist it's but right. it's this yeah. weird protection of itself yeah and it's self licking ice cream cones yeah yeah oh i've never heard that that's brilliant though it's, but in there you know in, in the in the cafe's defense once they got over the you know you guys can't you know we're, we're fighting this this is stupid we're not gonna you know once they got over that and they figured they saw the tea leaves, if you will, and they knew the airplane was going to go. They did try to start working with it. Yeah. They tried to start liaison stuff with, you know, how they could incorporate the aircraft into into what they did. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they lost and you know, stopped riding horses around to do reconnaissance. But, yeah. You know, they did try after, you know, early resistance, then, okay, shit, this is going to happen. Yeah. And, all right, so how do we make this happen? But, you know, keep our existence, too, and use this yeah. technology. Yeah. Ultimately, the airplane just got too good, and they were they were obsolete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of see it with. I actually don't know near. I really don't know anything about this. I'm not even going to really speak on it. Actually, fuck it. It's my podcast. I'll say whatever I want. (laughs) It's uh, uh, may I have permission, sir? Yeah. It's but it's like uh, what was it? Ironsides, the that 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 fucking all like metal like battleship and from the Civil War. Yeah. yeah, it's like the first step from like these. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I don't know. It's like the first step into like away from these big like ships of the line, these big like wooden. I mean, again, I think it's Richard Rhodes in his book Energy. He talks about like the importance of like trees and like in the UK or Great Britain, and it wasn't for fuel. It was they had these like it was like these like national reserves of thick trees because that's what they needed to build their ships, and it's just like again kind of like biplane scaring horses you're like what an insane thing to even think about now like we have to protect these trees oh yeah it was national park you know green co2 emissions and it's like no this is vital to the backbone of the navy and it's like holy shit (laughs) like like it's but wasn't there you and you said i believe it was your book they all start to fog together there is a balloon launch from one of these ships right yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, in, in the Civil War, actually, that yeah. was one of the, you know, to try to get that mobility that we, you know, we talked about before. They couldn't, they didn't know where the hell they were going. Yeah. So they, you know, and they made themselves targets. So they put the balloon up. And, yeah. You know, if there's an enemy balloon over there, there's probably enemy troops around it. Let me shoot that way, right? I'm, oh, yeah, it's true. Kind of, <laughs> let, me, let me see what I can do. Uh, but yeah, to try to get mobile. You know, they tethered one of the balloons to a boat that was, you know, in, in the Chesapeake, I think it was. Oh, I didn't know they tethered it. We'll, we'll ride the, you know, we'll ride this boat with a tethered balloon, and that'll give us the ability to actually, you know. Oh, fly. okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Okay, I thought that it was just balloon launched. 
because that's what I was yeah. going to ask. I was like, did, what, yeah. did they ever try tying these to like a bunch of horses or like a train or something? But okay, yeah, okay. That one went, went, went in one ear and out the other. I didn't know they tethered it to the ship. Yeah, so they tied it. Uh, you know, they launched it from the ship, but they tied it to it so they could uh, and use it as a mobile airborne platform. Yeah. That's so badass. I always love that like initial, I guess literal. Not 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 really, but kind of whatever. But Wild West nature of like the yeah. early everyone's throwing elbows, just this early tech kind of like I think like internet and like, you know, like early 2000s just complete Wild West insanity oh, okay. and then it, and then it, it yeah, it, again almost like another natural law and then they it kind of conglomerates into some like structures facebook youtube instagram whatever but there's always this initial sort of uber lift there's this initial insanity and it's but i always love that because it's just like the most novel things happen really quickly and everything after that is kind of refined but it's just like what do we do with the balloon i don't know we can't direct it tie it to a ship and it's just like brilliant do it but like go for it yeah (laughs) just that little intuition but like that can change the war it's just like now, air, but I didn't think about that. You said if there's a balloon there, in my unmilitary educated mind, I was like, yeah, shoot down the balloon. But you're like, no, if there's a balloon here, that means there's troops below. So in a way, in a way that you're providing aerial surveillance for the enemy, because now you are almost almost like an auction. You're holding up your panel. And so if you're just at your ground level, surrounded by trees, and you got these big field guns, and then you see this just, you know, this goddamn Jules Verne patchwork <laughs> balloon going up. Well, there it is, man. Fire on that position. That's kinda, oh. that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's almost like submarines launching new or uh, missiles or tracer bullets. That it's a two-way thing. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going yeah. with this, but <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. That's that's exactly what happened. It started becoming targets. Yeah. Once the once the artillery got big enough and had long enough range, you know, oh, they're, okay, there's, there's going to be some troop formation over there. Yeah, right? there's going to be someone over there. Yeah, a, you know, the balloons don't fly by themselves. They got a whole bunch of people on the ground, making sure they're full of air, holding them in place, all the stuff that you know the ground troops had to do to keep them flying. Yeah, and started blasting away at the balloon location. <laughs> yeah. The, God, I just, I don't know why I, like, love this idea of just, like, there's something, I don't know why, but I have been. Even, like, I told you, I love these, like, stupid conspiracies, like, the those, like, air clubs. But I just love, I don't know why, I just love this idea of, like, these, like, 1800s just kind of balloon, just no one really knows what the hell is going on. There's no real grasp on, like, technology. And it's just, like, bring up a, bring up a telegraph, and it's just, like... Good sir, like now we can send back like real time data. Or was it Civil War, or was it the Spanish, or was it World War? What was where they were like writing messages and then just dropping it with like sandbags? Uh, pretty much all of it at the beginning. They, they had you know they had no way of getting the messages to the ground. Which you know that's that's been a theme since you know it all started. How, okay, so now I'm in the air. How do I tell somebody? Yeah, lie. Yeah, usable intelligence. Uh, yeah, and that's you know that's a challenge we deal with today still, right? Yeah, you know, how to get information from the you know, collector to the you know, consumer. That's still a challenge we deal with, and how fast we can do it. But yeah, dude, they were using everything. I mean, you know, notes with a sandbag tied to them. They had this little dart thing that they would put a little message in it and drop yeah. it down there, and hopefully not kill somebody when it hit the ground. <laughs> you know, they did 
They did flag symbols. Yeah. You know, you probably caught on one of them. There were smoke signals yeah, that were yeah, yeah. from up there. Yeah. Like, okay, so I'm in a a balloon and I'm lighting a fire so I can send smoke signals. Does that make sense to anybody? <laughs> <laughs> but it is, man. It's just it's the insanity of it. It's like didn't early like tank battalions in World War One didn't they have carrier pigeons? And if the tank was if they were like immobile, they, you released the carrier pigeon only when you became like it was basically like you're calling in fire support on your position. So it's yeah. like a suicide carrier pigeon. Last resort, you know, yeah. last resort. Release the bird. Yeah, exactly. Release the hound, Smithers. But like that was like cutting edge technology. How are we gonna like turn the tide of the first world war? And it's like release the pigeons. <laughs> it's just like, but yeah, it's drop these sandbags. Like hope it doesn't hit anyone. It's. Right. I mean, I mean, even with, after the even after we got the airplane for a while, they were still you know even into the, in the you know before the war, even during the war, they were still trying to figure out how to communicate from the ground to the air and vice versa, which you know. That was just as challenging, right? Yeah, trying to support the infantry on the ground with air power, and they, they, you know, tell me where to go. Okay, well, I'm going to be on the ground, and you know, write you a message and flag, and you know, hopefully, you can fly the airplane, not get shot, looking at it, do ISR collections, and look down on the ground and figure out what the you know the artillery guys on the ground are trying to tell me where to go. Can you imagine, dude? How many different things those guys were dealing with at the same time? And these aren't like safe airplanes in the first place. No, right? the planes themselves are just a <laughs> shithole. Like that itself is insane. Yeah, they didn't have autopilots, so they could just tool around. And, all right, the plane's gonna fly. I'll do all this other stuff. There's like, yeah. there's barely, there's not even, there's barely even flight schools. It's like the technology itself right. is flight yeah. flying. It's yeah, it's that's like the original texting and driving. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, like, all right, all right, what are they saying? What are they, and. Yeah, you yeah. got the stupid propeller. You've got canvas wings, and it's just like, yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah, you yeah, big you stupid. Probably, you know, you probably saw it there somewhere. I think I wrote about it where you know that's that's basically when they they said these airplanes have to have two people on. Yeah, because you know, we're all we can't do what you told us to do. Yeah, you know, one dude doing all those different things, and oh yeah, now now we're also gonna have a machine gun on the airplane. Yeah, yeah. So like. So I got to go shoot other things down, do my ISR, look at a map and rank crap on the map, keep from getting shot down myself, talk to the guys on the ground all by myself. That's just, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the enemy, they also built their own shitty planes. And so they're trying to shoot you down. So right. we yeah. don't really, there's no, uh, there's no flight school yet. So we actually don't know dog fighting. So oh, no. figure no, that no. out. Yeah, figure that out. Oh, yeah, by the way, they've got a guy named the Red Baron. Just watch out because he's killed like 200 people. What? Good luck. <laughs> Take yeah. off, buddy. Yeah, your big stupid yeah. goggles on. Just don't your leather cap. And it's not only, yeah, not only that. Oh, and then we're also going to put in these little like handheld bombs. So like, yeah. oh, guy yeah, in the that, back. That, that, yeah. That yeah, figure that out. Oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, hope you understand Newton's laws and and really early on, if, have you ever listened to um, uh, what's his face, Dan, Dan Carlin, not the comedian George Carlin, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, dude, holy so. shit, holy shit, this is this is the guy's like the definition of a good teacher. You know when there's like a boring subject and a teacher still manages to make it. Shout out Dr. Right. Seegers from UGA. 
I failed calculus three years in a row, and then I had him, and I got an A. Got into med school because okay. of him. Shout out Dr. Seekers. But like, big difference, man. yeah, good teacher can make even the worst subject awesome. That's what Dan Carlin does. I always thought World War One was boring. He has like he has a couple different series, but his my favorite is it's called. Dude, I'm not kidding when I say this is like. This is like you have to listen. This isn't some like shitty like recommendation. Like here's a book I like. Like no, dude. Yeah. Holy shit! Blueprints for Armageddon. It's it's a six part. It's a six part podcast. Like four hours each. I know that sounds insane. I swear to God, you'll start listening to this and you will not be able to stop. It, yeah. is, it is it is like heroin. It is insane. Not that I've ever done heroin, but he talks about he talks about early World War One fights and he's like, yeah, I'll I'll send it to you. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. 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 It's. But he talks about it, he's like, yeah, and another thing was is he got a guy in the back seat, and it's like sometimes they just had a revolver, and it's like, hey, if anyone gets too close to you, aim for the head. Like, with a revolver. Like, that's yeah. it's literally what's... You're flying around, doing ISR, trying to talk to the guys on the ground, trying to give them directions. You got your shitty little bombs. You got your machine gun that through some black magic you don't understand is a line so it doesn't take out your propellers it's and there's not even it's not even streamlined designs mind you this is again the whole circus wild west some of them hey why have two wings when you can have nine <laughs> it's just, yeah it's just, is that better than us and another thing is like dude you're up there none of the maps really resemble anything anymore because trench oh, yeah. warfare has just like like dan carlin talks about he's like they talked about it was like the weed whacker from God. It just came down. And just they would just do these sweeping motions of artillery. So now it's just this barren, desolate, like inner circle of Dante's Inferno. Like yeah, you're supposed to find landmarks and all that. Exactly. It's insane. It is insane. I'm sorry for that rant. I don't know where I was going with that. I got a little. That's awesome though. Those, those guys were. You know, can you imagine just the courage and willpower it took to, to do that? Yeah. Get the back of those airplanes. I know there was some, I mean, it was awesome because they love flying. Yeah. Just the risk that they took to, to make that stuff happen is insane. It's insane, like you said. It's what pushes it forward. It's what pushes society forward. It's like, man, I went on a pretty, I got a pretty ang angry rant. That's not even pertinent today. But it was, it's, on the other hand, it's like, yeah, man. Like deserters were shot in World War One, like straight up deserters were shot. Both Germans, Americans, doesn't matter. Desert, you're dead. Man, I feel like, I feel like if you're just watch, if you're just three years into the war, how many thousands of days in a row, not quite that, hundreds of days in a row, multiple times a day, has someone blown the whistle? Everyone goes over the trench, and then some Maxim machine guns mow them down, and you're just, you're just some dude with some serial number and you're just getting up and you're just, if I'm going to go do that pretty sure I'm going to be dead or maimed no matter what and mind you the medical technology of the day it's I mean we're like a couple decades beyond like using leeches <laughs> like it's it's it was not good no so I mean not to take away from the pilots at all but at the same time I'm like man I'm probably going to die no matter what might as well go get in a plane Go yeah, experience, no, go experience point, sure. flight, <laughs> like you know, go. You got some chance, right? Yeah, you got some chance. And if I'm gonna die anyway, man, I might as well go die like swirling amongst the cloud, amongst the clouds, like do something no yeah. one's ever done, like Da Vinci dreamed of doing. It's yeah, it is absolutely insane. But it is they they put. It's crazy. 
yeah sorry i get i get caught up in my imagination sometimes it's it's crazy how they did it's like that's what pushes it forward is just like there's it's always so much easier in hindsight to say like what should have been done or which but at the time it's you almost have to put yourself in their shoes today and it's i mean it sounds like dramatic but it's i mean it's the equivalent of like would you go to mars and it's like how can you compare the two and it's like but it's the same thing it's completely uncharted territories no one knows what's going to happen there's probably going to be a lot of deaths before we even figure it out it's kind of the same thing is so take that take that logic train into the world war ii yeah yeah same exact thing yeah. Right. So in the 1930s, the, the you know the Army Air, Air Force of the Air Corps at the time, you know they decided that the strategic bombing is the way to go. Right. Yeah. Never tested it. Never test. We didn't have a chance to test it. Yeah. You know, the, but they went all in basically on you know B-17s and strategic bombing, and you know they show up in in the United Kingdom in 1942 with a crapload of, of airmen and a crapload of B-17s. You know, as, as it started growing, we hadn't we hadn't flown combat with no. the B-17 over a, an enemy that didn't want us there. No, right? Those guys. I mean, you know, the the, the Army Air Forces had the highest attrition rate of any service in the world. In the war, most people think it's the Marine Corps, but they're wrong. Yeah, no, I've, I've, those guys in the backs of B seventeen. Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm just taking your logic train. Yeah, no, go, go. Yeah, just hey, hey, guys, you know, ten of you jump in the back of that B seventeen and go go fly over Germany. Yeah, you got some guns on your airplane to protect you. Yeah, you know, I'm talking before fighter escort, right? Yeah, yeah go go knock yourself out. Yeah, against. You know, probably the best military in the world at the time. Oh, it has problems, but most advanced yeah. military in the world, Germany. Yeah, they, they were quite capable. Yeah, you know, especially in 42, 43. Yeah, get that Messerschmitt later on. It, it, you know, quite capable, but hey, take your B 17 and fly out there and, you know, try to drop some bombs on this thing. Oh, by the way, we're going we to give you a really good bomb site. You know, do some math, <laughs> you know, try to figure it out. Here's the thing you can look in. You know, yeah, right? You know, those guys, how brave were they? Insane. And their attrition rates are horrible. Wasn't it upwards of 80%? Not that, not quite that high. Well, regardless, the highest. Oh, yeah, the absolute highest. Yeah, the, you know, guy, a B-17 crew guy had the, the highest attrition rate of any service, any, you know, career field, anything, World War II. You know, you know the, I'm just taking your logic, yeah. you know, up to that next step. They... You know, go get in the back of that airplane. And good luck. Yeah, you're gonna have a lot of people around you because we're gonna put 700 airplanes in this formation. I was about to and, say, you yeah, know, you might not die because they're gonna be shooting these other dudes. Yeah, like, you know, the, that generation, man. You know, sometimes people think it's hyperbole that we, you know, that we the greatest generation. You know, but uh, I, they they did they sacrificed the hell out of it, dude. Uh, you know, I'm I'm confident that. You know, if, if we ever found ourselves in that kind of situation, that we would find young men in America, you know, in America that would go do the same thing. I think you would. I think. I don't. You know? I think it's something. I think it's almost like I'm interrupting you. Sorry. No, I, it's okay. But I, I just, you know, they did it on a countrywide scale. Yeah. It was everyone. You know, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't in the service, you were doing something for factories. The yeah. 
you know, or you were sacrificing at home to, you know, for the war effort, whatever it was. And, you know, we, like I said, a lot of people think it's hyper, hyperbole to, you know, call those guys heroes and greatest generation and all that kind of stuff. Not all of them were, of course, they're assholes too, you know, but the, the things that they did and the, you know, the risks that they took without, you know, really any training, you know, for the most part, most of them weren't in service when the war started, right? They weren't career army guys. The army was tiny when yeah. the war started. You know, they they had every job you can imagine in society, and they put them, you know, they put them in all these things, and they they saved the world. I mean, exactly. It's not hyperbole. It's, it's I, they I, saved the world. I mean, we, you know. Yeah, I always think about that. I'm like, it's they saved the. It's like they literally. There is a technologically advanced country who is, like, worse than your worst boogeyman. They're rounding up people and incinerating them in a serialized manner. You, you have to go save the world. Because they're, they're, it's, it's insane. And it's, it's, dude, my great uncle Rich passed away several years ago. He was 18 on Omaha Beach on D-Day. Like, killed not, like, still has, like, daggers with, like, swastikas on them. He's like, these are from the Nazis I killed. I've said this before, when I was I think I was like 11 or 12 and he was at my aunt's house this was in like New Jersey and I remember I was like just getting into like working out because I was like hey if I work out and I have muscles girls will like me and I won't have to you know that'll overshadow my terrible personality 12 bull, bull cut braces but I was doing I was doing chin-ups and I remember he came down and told me to do and that mind you at this point this is not World War II but you know he then went and served in the FBI for five goddamn decades and he came down and he was like, do pull-ups, not chin-ups. And I was like, why? And he was like, because when you're running from a Nazi tank, you can't jump over a fence like this. You have to do <laughs> that. stuck with me, man. I've been doing pull-ups ever since. But to what you were saying before I so rudely interrupted you, is like, dude, they did. They dropped out. I mean, Ted Williams was on the Red Sox going to, like, outperform yeah. Babe Ruth and then went and flew fighter jets for five years. Like, they, yeah, and it's... Why are we sending 800 uh, bombers? Well, um, you know the law of averages? So, like, yeah. a lot of you, just like we drop a, a lot of bombs because only some are going to hit, we're doing the same things with these planes. We're putting a lot up there because that's the only way you're going to survive. Like, holy shit. And the last yeah. war is biplanes. So there's no, like, it's not... You know, it's not like fighter jets, you know, okay, maybe you flew a fighter jet in Vietnam and then in Desert Storm and now in Iraq. And it's like, okay, it's fighter jets. It's We've never done this before. Back right. then, we had goggles with revolvers and had planes made out of, like, what looks like paper mache. Now yeah. you're in these lumbering things. And, I mean, the altitude is, like, you're going at, like, a thousand percent of the altitude. And you have ball, ball turrets with yeah. 50 cals. Uh, hope, yeah. hope you see them. How come they're tracers? Well, because things that are going to kill you are flying so fast in and out of the clouds. You got to be able to. But I've often thought about again. I'm in, sorry for interrupting you. I've often thought, man, is like, yeah, would we? Uh, Dan, Dan Carlin touches on it in Blueprints for Armageddon, World War One. He's like, I often think, like, how did these guys go and do it? And then again in World War Two. And he finally concludes, and he's like, maybe this is a cop-out, but he's like, I feel like any generation probably seems like they can't do it until, like, it's not like a, 
it's not like a mind exercise. It's like not until it's knocking at the door can you really decide whether or not a generation would do it. My generation, I really don't know if we would. I'd like to think that if like, you know, shit hit the fan, we would. But yeah, yeah that logic train, dude, go get in these things and just fly. Just fly. You're probably gonna yeah. die. It's just... Yeah, you only have to do it 25 times and you can come home. Yeah, seriously. Holy oh, now it's 35. You know, it's, yeah, it's, and then, you know, my, my interest, obviously in the, in the intelligence side of it, you know, um, you know, World War II is where we create, you know, the, the airborne linguist career field, right? Three, three enjoyed that part. Um, and those guys weren't even air crew. You know, they, they went in the war to be a supply clerk, a maintenance guy, a cook, you know, whatever it was like, Oh, you know, Herman. Your family's German. You speak German. We're going to put you in the back of a B-17, and you're going to fly over Germany and listen to you know the Luftwaffe and what they're doing to try to protect us. Those guys, they didn't get trained. <laughs> At least the B-17 crews, you know, they were all you know a crew. Yeah, they had gone yeah. through training in the states together. You know, these guys are just thrown in. Hey, you know, go see what you can find to keep us safe and figure out what the Luftwaffe is doing. So we got no other way of doing it. And I hold those guys, you know, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I'm a linguist and I'm, you know, walk their shoes, but I hold those guys in such high regard. Yeah. Just you know, those, those German, those first linguists that flew in the back of the B-17s, just, you know, none of them were air crew guys. No. And they're facing the exact same risk as anybody else. You know, I've got, I've got lists of KIAs, POWs, MIAs of the linguists that were flying. And like I said, I mean, the, there are a couple of them that had some air crew training, but almost all of them. No, they were they were living fat and happy in the United Kingdom or in Italy, watching the bombers go and do their mission and then come back and you know hey, we'll, we'll take care of your plane and cook yeah. dinner or whatever. And they were asked to go do that themselves, right? Man, what, a, what an amazing group of people! Yeah, just, just you know, what an amazing group. Yeah, insane, and it's. I mean, I think Lemay said he was like right when we started. He was like, we're coming up on an hour. You want to wrap this up in like five minutes? Yeah. 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 It's, um, we probably need to talk again. <laughs> absolutely. Dude, I told you in your email. It's like, I hope you're ready to do more than one episode, man. I can't have people on for one episode. I'm like, dude, I have to like. Yeah. There's too much to unpack there. I'm a piranha. I'm like, I have to pick everything off of you. I have to just yeah. like get all the information. Not to talk about the book or anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to imply that then we're then I'm like finished and I like kick your bones. No, I love no. I'm not like all right, finished with you next. No, um, yeah. but I think Lemay said he was like he was like when we first came in, he said the, the when people always asked him like afterwards like why were you so hell bent on make, making a sack this like lethal well oiled machine? Why were you always so ready like? his plan like the Sunday punch to drop 80% of our nuclear armaments within 24 yeah, right. hours. Like why no. were you, yeah, why were you always so, he says because he always remembers how unprepared we were when war broke out. And he said when we first started, with I think B-17s, he was like at our current loss rate when we went in there, we, we did the math and we realized we had 30 days until our Air Force was gone. And then, he said, and then yeah, he said, like, luckily, just like the insane power of, of the United States, FDR, just, you know, let's get this war machine going. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And then just we defied, I think it was 
Garrett Graff again said, you know, America's World War II war production capabilities defy description even today. It's yeah. No, can, can you imagine the? Can you imagine the the industrial base in the United States turning its entire effort to producing military equipment? You could take over the world. That's what they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Chevy, GMC, Ford. Yeah. Hey, you're not making pickup trucks anymore. You're making jeeps and tanks and trucks. I yeah. Mean, you imagine? Yeah. You know, that is what happened in World War II. Yeah. Those guys weren't making luxury cars anymore, you know? They're, yeah. They're turning out vehicles, and, you know? Dude, but, Coors, the beer company, post-World War II, late 40s, early 50s, Project Pluto, the, the nuclear-powered ramjet uh, missile that was supposed to, you know, I'm sure you know about Project Yeah. If you don't know about Project Pluto, look it up, because that's an episode in itself. But dude, the, the, little, the little nuclear... Um, are they they had like th tens of thousands of these little um like pencil shaped these hexagonal nuclear like fuel rods instead of mm -hmm. big ones they had thousands of little ones produced by cores because yeah. cores cores could they had all this stuff to make cans and stuff and they're like hey man you know slapped like a special access program thing on it they're like you want to you want to serve your country and they're like fuck yeah <laughs> it's just like beers for the gi or we'll make these like it's weird beryllium uranium just but apparently they made it and they did it better than anyone but it's almost you kind of got a little flavor of that at the be, like beginning of covid right all these like big yeah. companies were like yeah. they're gonna produce um i don't know what happened with that but it's you kind of got a little like oh look what can happen when it all works together like, yeah. you can take on anything I'd like a to lot, think, yeah. A lot of that was to save their own necks. Absolutely. Think, Great PR. World War II, they were actually, you know. Literally saving their Patriotic necks. and trying to, you know, do what they needed to do yeah. to save the country. That's, yeah. yeah, man. That's what I loved about it. It was like, it was, yeah, they stepped up and it was just like, how, like, how do we do this? What, what, what do you need? I think it was one of the guys from what was before it was Monsanto. I didn't realize, like, they had a huge hand in, like, uh, really, yeah. in, in the Manhattan Project. No, really. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I read that yesterday for the first time. I was like, what the hell? Dude. <sighs> Colonel Tyler Morton, PhD. Right, yeah. I wrote a book. He wrote a book. And, we uh, sort of mentioned it. <laughs> sorry, man. I got to, dude, like I told you, man, I would just go on these. I, I hope, all good, man. I hope you got a flavor for it. You got to come in fighting, man, because I just, I get on rants. This is good because, you know, re re really, I mean, a lot of what we talked about is was the technological theme, yeah. right? And how you know technology has just been this thing that's woven so much stuff together over time, and you know, how the military has pushed that and been part of it. Um, and I, I, you know, I am always deferential to to the airmen and how you know they were instrumental in just making all this stuff happen. And that's yeah. you know, for me, you mentioned it at the very beginning. You didn't use those words, but. You know, things become military applications, and then, you know, in my service, we turn things loose to the airmen. Yeah, and, and you know their their innovative spirit, and it's the way that they do it. It's the culture of the United States Air Force. I'll tell anybody that listens to me. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not fighter aircraft. It's not you know fighter jocks. It's not bombers. It's it's the innovative spirit of the airmen that has separated us from the very beginning. Yeah, from you know from 1907 when we got the first balloon. You know that that is when. Airman said, "We're going to go over things, not through them, Army. Yeah. We're going to fly over stuff. We're going to, you know, we're going to be first to do those things, and that's just 
you know, we didn't, we didn't use those exact words in our discussion, but everything we talked about was kind of in that, you know, in that bubble for me where Absolutely. people make things happen. Absolutely. I mean, dude, yeah. the, the bombings of like Homeland Japan, dude, it's like that the shit they did is insane. It prevented so many American casualties. The fire bombings, oh, yeah. the, oh, yeah. it's yeah, yeah. insane. Oh, yeah. They killed way many more people with fire bombing in Tokyo than, than we did in oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. LeMay, nuclear bombs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, LeMay said he was, he was like, yeah, if we lost, he was like, I was just ready to full on take my war crime trial. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. Sure. I think, I don't know if it was LeMay or if it was Richard Rhodes writing about LeMay, but I loved the like, there's like these two just like puns that I loved. And it was like in a land where they revered their emperor as a god, the only way to beat them was to show them the power of God. <laughs> and then the next was when fighting a warrior culture, like a warrior samurai, uh, something, he goes, the only way to do it with these shiny B-29s, he goes, the only way to do it was to throw a thousand throwing stars at their homeland. Ref- the B-20, reflective, he's like, just like throwing stars, he's like, yeah, to give him a, <laughs> like, Jesus, man, an insult to injury. Throwing stars, yeah, check out my throwing stars. Toss them from Tinny, okay. game over, bitch. Yeah. Tyler Morton, thank you, sir. And let's, uh, I'll text you after this, let's definitely set up another one. Alright, good stuff, brother. Alright, man, I know, I will, I will, from Kites to Cold War, I will link that in the description. I'll go over it and Maybe we can stick more to it next time. Like I said, I go off the rails, man. I get excited. So good. All right, brother. It was fun. Thank you, man. All right. Peace, Talk buddy. to you later. Peace. Out.